So hello, I'm Amy. Um, I am going to be um, doing a reflection today. Um, I'm inclined to keep my reflection pretty short um, today, given today's gospel reading. Um, the Beatitudes, well, fantastic in many, in you know, not to knock the Beatitudes, but they're a very familiar passage. Um, one of us that one that most of us have probably heard dozens of sermons on. Um, something that some of us might even have memorized at some point in our lives. Um, granted, today's reading is from is the version of the Beatitudes from Luke's Gospel, from what is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain, rather than the more familiar version that opens the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. Um, now, there are times when the parallel passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels are almost identical. Um, but this passage from Luke, um, sometimes called the Blessings and Woes, uh, does have some notable differences, and I think those differences do give us something to think about today. The most obvious difference between the difference between the passages is that Matthew's Beatitudes are all "Blessed are you" statements, with none of Luke's associated curses or woes. Um, but I don't find that difference particularly interesting. Um, Matthew's Gospel has plenty of. Um, statements that reprove the, the rich or announce judgment on the, the rich, the wealthy, and those who are praised in the present, day, present age. The two gospel writers' choices to include or exclude the woe portion of this passage, um, it just kind of seems more like a literary choice to me, um, not something that really reflects a distinction in Jesus's teaching. Um, what I do think is really interesting is that the descriptors for the people that in each passage um, that e the people for whom each passage announces a blessing isn't the same. And the difference not only reflects a distinction in teaching, um, a little bit of a different focus of the teaching, um, but I think it also might inform how we ought to read, ought to read these biblical passages um, or how we might want to read these biblical passages that announce blessings and curses. Um, I think we tend... Can you all hear TV in the background or are we okay still? Sorry, loud children, um, loud child really, let's be honest. <laughs> um, um, I think we tend to read, um, we tend to default to reading from pas passages like this as more prescriptive, like a list of do's and don'ts and the consequences that attend each choice or way of being. Um, and for the Beatitudes and a lot of other blessed are and cursed be passages. Um, this isn't necessarily a problem. If you have a book of teaching that you believe to be even somewhat authoritative, it seems natural to look at passages um, like this to direct your choices, um, to form your actions and attitudes in a way that would count you among the blessed. Um, and the Beatitudes from Matthew um, are fine words to live by. Uh, many of the blessings declared by the more familiar Beatitudes sound like things people can choose to do or be. The poor in spirit, the pure of heart, the meek, the peacemakers, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are persecuted because of how they live their faith. Um, the Matthew text actually lends itself pretty well to instructions on who one must be and how one must live if they wish to be blessed. Um, the text that we read from Jeremiah can also be read as sort of instructions on how to live if one wishes to be blessed. 
Those who trust in the Lord will be blessed. They will be free from fear and bear fruit even in times of drought. Conversely, those who trust in mortals will be cursed. Their lands will be barren and parched. This text can be read as pretty straightforward instructions. Trust the Lord and good things will come to you. But Luke's blessings and woes don't lend themselves to that sort of straightforward reading. Um, for Luke, the blessed are those who are poor, hungry, or mourning in mourning. Luke's Jesus declares, Luke's presentation of Jesus declares woe to the rich, the satisfied, the happy, and the well-regarded of this age. Um, Luke's passage doesn't really lend itself to spiritualizing um, or this very straightforward do this then blessing. Um, because Luke isn't focusing on internal attitudes um, or actions, um, but material conditions that um, characterize people's lives. A person can't really make themselves poor or hungry through conscious effort or a change in attitude. Um, true, through the history of the church, some have chosen to be poor and hungry by giving away their possessions, um, to give up happiness, comfort, and honor in the present age, in, or to give up happiness, comfort, and honor in the present age in order to obtain reward in an age to come. But choosing hunger and poverty is not the same as being caught in systems of injustice that hold you in hunger and poverty. Choosing to give up things you value is not the same as suffering loss and dishonor as a result of living in an unfair and painful world. Um, Luke is not providing us um, with any kind of formula to make sure we get on team blessed and avoid team cursed. Uh, moreover, reading this passage as instructions in obtaining blessing and avoiding woe sets up sets us up for a society where the poor, hungry, and sorrowful are encouraged to continue suffering under unjust systems without complaint um, because they're assured reward in the age to come. I wonder if it makes more sense um, if we read the Luke te text now, not as a prescription for obtaining blessing, but as a description of the new world that God is creating. The point is not that we should be poor, hungry, mourning, and reviled if we wish to be blessed. Nor is it that we should be comforted to know that the rich, satisfied, and honors of this age will get their comeuppance in the age to come. Luke's passage tells us about the world that God is creating. And we get to decide how we live into the reality here in the present age. Um, for those who are held in systems that keep them poor and hungry, for those who mourn, for the things and people they've lost, um, for those who are reviled for doing what is right. Um, the description of this emerging new world um, could be a source of comfort. Um, it's the promise because it is a promise of a just world where we all have enough, where the mourning will be consoled, where those who do right will be honored instead of opposed or despised. But for those of us who enjoy comfort and consolation in the present age, um, this description challenges us not, challenges us to look at ourselves, not in fear that we will be among those who have already enjoyed their reward, but in hope that we can prepare to live in the world that Jesus is promising. Um, in how we share the wealth that we enjoy, um, how we comfort the suffering, um, and then how we deal with the temptation to live as people who are honored in the present age. 
um, rather than living as those who are righteous according to the values of God's kingdom. And if we keep in mind this idea that these blessing and woe passages could be more of um, a description than a prescription, it can also give us um, a more nuanced and I think better um, ways of reading passages that we might be inclined to read as an instruction on how to obtain blessing. Um, for example, if we read the Jeremiah passage, trust in God and you'll prosper in all circumstances, that passage would be very easy to disprove. Um, because for example, in a time of drought, those of great faith often suffer just as much as their neighbors who do not share their faith. Um, worse yet, this sort of understanding can open us up, open us up in times of suffering to those who would say that if we suffer, it must just be that we didn't trust God enough. Um, I wonder if it's better um, if we if we read the pa Jeremiah passage more as a description of how people who trust in God would experience hardship. Um, not that they're going to receive security or prosperity as a reward for their trust in God, um, but choirs around the world singing, no. it's a wonderful world. No. <laughs> but they're thriving. Um, but they're thriving in the in times of times of trial um, is more of a natural consequence of their trust in God. Those who trust in God survive and bear fruit in all circumstances, not because God has given them favor as a reward for their faith, but because that they trust that God has not left them and that God will give them what they really, what they really need to survive through difficult times. We may not see God providing anything that looks like prosperity um, by our standards in these times of suffering, um, but it's the trust that self trust itself, um, but the trust itself in God in and itself is a source of consolation um, and gives us the hope that one will see the end of suffering and come to a time of plenty and a reason to rejoice. Um, so that's what I have today. And um, thank you all for listening.